and welcome once again to the Dice Are Screaming. We're coming oh. at you live or recorded if you're hearing us after we're podcasting. I guess we're always recorded, right? I, I suppose it is. I like to think of myself as live. I, well, it beats thinking of myself as dead. Yep, and it uh, that brings us to our main topic tonight, which is going to be a little bit of a somber one to start off with. Is Once again, we have lost another great Stan Lee has left us and went to that great cosmic beyond and uh, we thank Stan Lee for all that he's done because while he was not a perfect person or a... oh yeah we make no pretense of uh, you know canonizing this guy as some kind of saint that he had plenty of flaws of his own too but he brung comics out of the medium of just the paper and cheap ink medium and he also pushed a lot of ideas forward he was a guy that uh, we normally talk about gaming specific topics and the reason we chose to do this today uh, to have a, a in memoriam of Stan Lee and of the, the comic as an art form is because even though it's a distinct and separate genre it is inextricably tied to gaming culture because so many of us first found our gaming books in a hobby shop. And the hobby shops were mostly comic book shops, too. They, they tended to exist, uh, you know, as one entity. And so people who were interested in one thing quickly found the other right there uh, at their disposal and vice versa. So if you were a gamer, you probably knew about comic culture. Mm -hmm. And if you were a comic enthusiast, you may very well have run into gaming because of it. And Stan Lee loomed like a giant over the field of comics and bringing them out of the, the dime store and into popular culture way more than... Uh, I think, you know, it's hard to describe anybody else as having had that level of impact. Yeah, and how many people have come out and given their praise for Stan... And we celebrate not his death, of course, but his life. And uh, that's what we're going to focus on, is that a lot of uh, the stuff that we talk about with imagination, and we talk about with Gary Gygax helping bring forward it, and rightly so, uh, we should also mention Stanley because um, his imagination, his grasp for the dramatic, he was a writer who wanted a little bit more, and he helped create an atmosphere, I think Mike uh, spoke about it, uh, that fostered people's imagination. And while he may have sometimes been an obstructionist or got in the way or fiddled with this, he generally helped people get their stories out there. And yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair enough as any assessment can be. But I would also say that probably, you know, some of the other things that people attribute to Marvel, like X-Men, he didn't have as much role in, but his, his fingerprints were there. If he wasn't uh, uh, present for all of Daredevil, he definitely was a uh, motivator for Daredevil stories and watched them from afar and sometimes became involved. As well as some of the best comics, I think, that came out of that era were Iron Man, the, the later days of Fantastic Four, where he got it started, you know, and of course his run on Spider-Man would have enshrined anybody in comic book and nerd lore fandom. He kept going with it, and he pushed the envelope till now we 
basically have multiple movies and venues with Marvel Entertainment. Uh, well, and, you know, I mean, to hammer home a point, uh, he would have likely been famous and would be missed now had he stopped all of a sudden uh, decades ago after having just been the writer of Spider-Man. You know, if, if he had just stuck only to actually writing comics, uh, he would still have been famous to comic fans, but he would not have become a kind of icon himself, uh, remembered for this enormous empire of movies and literature and uh, video games, in addition to comic books, uh, had he given it all up and just said, yeah, I just really want to write. Uh, uh, so for all his flaws, the guy really, <laughs> he, he earned his props as a writer in creating characters that people empathized with. Uh, and a lot of other people came along and delivered terrific stuff to Marvel. And what can I say of Stan Lee except that even if he occasionally got in the way of a good idea uh, or somebody else's uh, concept, most of the time he had a knack for recognizing something that was going to connect with people. And just he knew enough to take his hands off and green light it, just walk away and tell them, hey, kid, go for it. Uh, make it happen. Let yeah. it be so. And in later days, you know, Marvel, he would uh, lose uh, his control over the Marvel editorial and it would shift to others. But his presence was always there. He was the front man for Marvel, just like in a good old rock band. He was never, his influence may have waned, but he was never forgotten. He was never far away from it. It's like Colonel Sanders. I mean, he may not have been in the kitchen anymore, but, you know, yeah. the, the face and name are still important to people. Excelsior. Yes. Oh, nobody can forget that. Uh, <laughs> Stan Lee, signing off. Excelsior. No, he was decidedly a character. But comic books had their enormous influence on gaming, and you, those who have listened to others of our podcast uh, <clears throat> probably recall us making mention of uh, creativity in inspiration. Uh, a variety of inspiration. Uh, looking for ways to be inspired in your game creations and in your game writing uh, by looking at the sources around you that can provide that inspiration. And we really touched on uh, books and film so far. Yeah, we've made a mention of comics, the old EC comics. Yeah, we they got we, everybody in trouble, but we, uh, <laughs> we barely, you know, scratched the surface of that. So I guess what we're doing today is we're finally giving comics their full due. You yeah, know? Um, gaming for me, uh, comics came long before gaming. Um, I was always enthralled with uh, my favorite superhero, which is no surprise, is Batman. But also, uh, I was pulled right in by, not just Spider-Man, but mostly by the X-Men. Especially the very relaunch days with the classic lineup, as it's called. But the whole idea of mutants as a 
metaphor for discrimination. Yeah. Was one of the big things that I always thought very highly of Marvel for. And in these highly politicized times, people say that, uh, you know, oh, well, I don't want politics in my comics. Well, I, I laugh at you because uh, <laughs> you... you Superman. We'll just start. We'll, we're just going to jump the ship for a minute and wander in the weeds. I I question anyone who proclaims that the comics of yesteryear had no politics in them. Uh, you know, at that point, I, it's my conviction that that is a person who has never actually opened a comic book prior to the 1990s. Because uh, yeah. for those of us who grew up in the 70s, I I remember. A Superman comic, uh, or was it a Lois Lane that it involved uh, the American Indian movement at the time, uh, and just it was the politics of like the 1970s being played out on a comic page. Uh, you know, it, it, these are things that are not uh, unheard of; that they, they weren't even unusual. Yeah, but when you look at like Superman in the early days, here you take the name Ubermensch and turn around, and these two Jews. Yeah, two Jewish writers yeah. uh, created Superman. Who was basically Moses, set off in the cosmic waters. Yeah, you know, cast and the ashore in Kansas. Uh, adopted into a family. And he more or less grew up with the American ideal. that You know, it was kind of merit, but it was also, there was a sense of fairness that you brought to the table. And he had great powers, but he didn't use them in traditional ways that heroes of the day did. He didn't drive vengeance home. He wasn't driven by vengeance. Yeah, and this is where the mythology of the superhero kind of begins mm -hmm. uh, with Superman. You know, we we got to give that nod. Cause yeah, but although we're talking Stanley and Marvel and all of that, you know, the genre really begins to take off with Superman. And Superman was not about vengeance. It was not about uh, getting even. Or settling the score. Uh, it was very much about heroism. Uh, and the untainted great... heroism, as opposed to the more classical literary examples where you see, like, Beowulf, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, felled by his own hubris, and so many classical Greek mythology stars are, you know, horribly flawed individually and come to calamity because of that. Superman was kind of a rejection of that. It was it was a let's take a step in a different direction where somebody who for you know very noble purposes manages to keep striving to do the right thing even when often tempted to give up and just go the hard route and you know let's play dirty, you know, yeah. it's so much easier. And when you have all of that power uh it becomes a constant example of the careful use of power, the, the cautious, carefully weighed uh, use of all of that enormous resource of power. And as Stan Lee would famously coin the phrase, with great power comes, comes great, great responsibility. responsibility. That's yeah. where I wanted to wind it up is, is that, yeah, we went off in the weeds from it there talking about Superman with Stan Lee, but, you know, that's where he came from as well. He definitely recognized that. And, you know, many times, um, you know, race and politics would come to play out in the pages of comics in the four-color style. And, um, you know, the other thing that uh, Stan Lee brought to the table was a sense of fairness. And maybe, you know, in, in light of things, of all the stuff that will eventually probably start being after the Oculates fail and the 
fade and uh, people start looking back at some of the misdeeds that he did in his life, they'll come out and say some things. And I think that's kind of unfair for the basic part that while he was a good guy, he had his own things that he did and probably given the chance to undo them. I think most people, given those points in their lives to look at, Again, I was like, yeah, maybe I wasn't uh, right to do that, and that was wrong of me. But I think he was uh, a great person, and he inspired a lot. So, where we are, Stanley? I privately, I I think that you know most heroes are never all they're cracked up to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's just the truth of the world. I went through that when I was a kid, as I started to read a lot more books, a lot more uh, biographies, a lot more uh, histories. And I got a different picture than the, you know, storied fables of childhood. Uh, you know, you're, you're told the one thing when you're a little kid in school, and then you go and do your homework, and nothing's quite as shiny and pretty as you thought it was. Uh, history is actually pretty grungy, dirty, and uh, full of questionable persons making questionable choices for questionable reasons. It's a giant shade of gray. Uh, I will only heap accolades on Stan Lee's achievements. Yeah. I will not necessarily praise his character as an individual. Uh, but he but did I, bring I Marvel. I imagine he was conflicted as any other human being would be. Yeah, and I think that's a fair enough. But I think also he threaded the needle with Marvel. He got them into a little groove where in the 70s we were kind of shaky on where we stood in, in morality and ethics. And he gave us a new morality to work with. Uh, well, yeah, that and... Uh, Take the Daredevil and the Punisher. That was the dawn of, you know, the gray area in comics. It, mm -hmm. it, it had always been a very black and white world uh, in the great majority of comic books, where there was a clearly defined good guy and a clearly defined bad guy. Uh, the 70s was an incredibly complicated time period for a lot of people where uh, the beliefs of their parents' generation had proven to be a little bit hollow in the sense that they sort of washed over top of all of life's little bumps, okay? They didn't really yeah. fix anything. It was more like, well, if we can just hammer this square peg into that round hole, it'll shut up and stop being so obvious. Uh, the 1960s revolted against that. And so as you enter into the 70s, you see this period where people were redefining what was right and wrong. And... Marvel was right on the cusp of that, asking questions like, you know, I mean, is what the Punisher's doing wrong? I mean, clearly superheroes oppose him because most heroes, you know, go, well, just arbitrarily executing a man is a terrible thing to do. But was the Punisher so awful? Going after those who could not be gotten? You had too much money, too much power, too much clout. No one can touch them. There's no way to stop them and they will never quit. There is one way to stop them, and that was the Punisher. It, there was that moral question hovering over the whole comic, or as you were mentioning about Daredevil. Yeah, and Daredevil would not uh, take that route at all. He was tempted, but uh, you know that's why him and the Punisher were such a great combination whenever the Punisher would show up. And also he chased on Spider-Man and showed in some other comics. But a lot of people latched onto the Punisher in the 90s. He kind of became his own thing, but it's kind of getting out of our focus here. 
But back to Stanley, wherever you are, you madman, thank you for all the entertainment and joy that you brought to everybody's lives who's ever read a comic book and smiled. Yeah, and to everybody out there who is uh, familiar, if you're not familiar with comics, uh, by all means, you know, don't deprive yourself of it. It's a perfectly legitimate art form. Oh, yeah, don't let anybody poo-poo you. Yeah. That's, that's kid stuff. Yeah, Marvel quickly took... Prove that wrong. They definitely talked about some mature, and also DC, but... Well, again, DC was linked to the table on that. Marvel was hitting harder with, uh, oh yeah. you know, tougher-hitting stuff before DC. DC caught up with the Vertigo label back in, like, late 80s, early 90s. They really, you know, well, yeah, they, they took a step forward and but, said... But, you know, they had the speedy Green Arrow heroin thing. They oh, yeah. They did talk about... They did Both comics kind of drifted... And they were shackled a little bit by the Comics Authority Code, which, you know, both Marvel and DC eroded as much as they could. Like the inexorable <laughs> pull of the tides and shifting of the seas, they eroded the base of that and exposed it for what it was, just hypocrisy. But nonetheless, this also allows us, after paying a little homage to the great one, Stan, uh, about superhero gaming. Yes. Okay. And so we're actually going to, we've been kind of hitting around in it, and it's kind of been a joke. Well, and it's finally happening, you know. I mean, oh, we said it was going to happen, you know. It's finally happening, but we decided to just let it go. And it's kind of just a contrived joke. It really wasn't anything serious. We already made up our minds. I just wanted to throw it in there as a kind of ad hoc homage to Phil Foglio's What's New and with Sex and D&D, Phil, Phil and Dixie. Always wanted to talk about that, but they would always go to another topic. So forgive uh, yeah. me if we've kind of drawn it out a little too much. Yeah, we, we, we've dragged it about as far as we could. And I'm starting to feel like Lucy yanking away the football. So, <laughs> you know. But with Stan's passing, we kind of feel that the time is right to just talk about that. Because superhero role-playing games uh, are that perfect fusion. That moment where, you know, hey... Your superheroes got in my role-playing. Oh, well. Your role-playing got in my superheroes. And then you've got your Reese's moment where you just go, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and it is. Um, superhero gaming uh, grew out, I think it was 1977, that uh, Lou Zochi and another fella published Superhero 2044, which put it in the future. And kind of uh, made a new set of rules. Uh, a judge's guild would make one module for it called Hazard. But that was about all that was said from it. But it showed people that role-playing was more versatile than just, you know, uh, spaceships and uh, dragons. It had the potential to do anything. And uh, while it spawned off some other people doing stuff like Recon, which was kind of questionable at its time, we're going to focus back on what... They started showing people they could do, and a couple of dudes out in California started the Champions role-playing game. Oh. Um, Champions, I, I missed out in the first edition, but I picked up a second edition, saved up for it, and <laughs> I spent an entire summer reading and uh, mowing lawns and, and, and just take it with me, and I would study it, and it was kind of thick. I'm not going to lie. It was not like just rolling up stats. You, you know, it was a point by. I'd never been exposed to anything like that. Gotta remember, this is the very early '80s. I'm still relatively within my, you know, young adolescence, you know, 13, 14, and I so wanted to create a group of superheroes, and I felt that my my chums would, you know, just be ready to throw down with it. But uh, <clears throat> well, after reading the rules, 
I found out that I would probably, after trying to describe character creation, probably be rolled into a sleeping bag, duct taped into it, hung out from a tree, and beaten with wiffle ball bats and tennis rackets until I fully acquiesced and say never I would do it again. Yeah, at Champions was self-evidently uh, a very steep learning curve if you were under a certain age and not generally inclined to a lot of hard textbook reading. Uh, <laughs> it was not, this is not a game for the casuals. Yeah. This, this is, it's its own gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was tough, but it wasn't unfun. And that is the big thing, is once you got past the numbers and you got kind of familiar with it, it was a game that introduced some concepts, like every time you'd start play, you had Nemesis that you would roll dice for and see if they would show up. So mm -hmm. kind of the player characters created their own kind of cast. And these villains that you would face, of course, those most of the time they'd be taken to super villain jail at the end of the game or whatever, retreat off to their lair and defeat. They would show up again. So Ultramax. And what you ended up doing was just like in the comic books, you started to get your own can. Oh, I hate the fox bat. I totally hate him and his centipede mobile and his stupid gun and his stupid face. I hate everything about fox bat. Well, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> you know, you would build up antagonistic relationships with these villains that were primarily just one-dimensional. Sure, they're opposing you. But the thing was that they had a kind of shtick or canard that they would always throw out there. And so that was a kind of like fun thing that was a lot different and more lighthearted than your typical stuff for epic adventuring. But it still had the appeal of high fantasy and adventure. And I'm going to say high fantasy because it was pure imagination. Not to mention, unnecessary use of alliteration. That's right, and we can't forget unnecessary monologuing. <laughs> Remember, each villain is allowed a three sentences of monologue before you punch him in the face. Yes. Yeah, you cannot have a villain without a good monologue. So, you know, rattling those off, well worth your time. Uh, don't let your players steamroll you when it comes to monologuing villains. Oh, yeah. Like, no, no, I'm doing a thing here. Y'all gonna just wait. Wait till I get this out. I've, I've taken your initiative and your actions into consideration, but I'm getting this out, and that is all there. That is all there is to it. You cannot stop this from happening. <laughs> now, one of the big things that I had a little bit of uh, artistic talent, and I could draw pretty well, but uh, I just wasn't as motivated as drawing as I was telling a story, and a lot of times that frustrated me. And I had these ideas for villains, and I draw them up, and then I'd show them to people, but. I could just never get the kind of style I was happy with. And that's kind of one of those things of being a tormented artist, is you're never happy with your own work. But everybody's like, oh, you did a great job. But that's another thing that makes a good superhero uh, game master, somebody who can draw. But you don't necessarily need it, thanks to the internet now, and you know, image searches, you can find just about anything for, that will fit your particular villain, or at oh, least modify yeah. it. Yeah, it'll spice things up, add a little visual flavor to things, uh, and... You know, if you do know somebody who's a good graphic artist with computers, you can work with them to create custom stuff just for your game. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be at a table right now with several people who are fairly gifted, and I'm, I'm grateful for all of them, because it certainly added some spice and some great comedy, because there's, there's nothing like a quick sketch artist being able to draft, like, a perfect caricature of an awkward moment. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, the thing with superhero games, game mastering was, is besides just 
having dice and a willingness to play anything, you had to kind of have the superhero mindset. And sure, most of the players in D&D games gravitate towards the archetype of the Punisher. Like, just kill them all. And that's just not how it's played. But you kind of have to have that ethic. And one of the things is, is you had a game system and champions that rewarded ethical behavior. And it also, your characters are going to be imperiled at certain points and imprisoned and have to get their way out of death traps. And that's kind of the charm of it. It's, you know, and... Dungeons and Dragons, you get captured by the bad guys. Uh, well, um, yeah. nice knowing you. <laughs> they just kill you. Whereas uh, superhero games are aimed for the dramatic moment. Right. Uh, they are frequently aimed for that. Uh, that uh, I should, we should at least cursorily mention some of the other examples. Of oh yeah, we we're going to get into that. But uh, the four panel or four color panel. Uh, drama of the comic book genre is captured a lot of games and some of them do it better than others but champions tried their best they had like the presence attack for the monologue or the ego uh, attack that you know the villain would like i am the doctor destroyer and i'm here to ruin your day oh darn you doctor destroyer you're always <laughs> ruining our day taste the wrath of the mighty monarch oh yeah there you go see that's a presence attack but you had that but other games like villains and vigilantes were more dnd like and we did play those um and we did have some, I'm not going to mention a couple things that uh, shouldn't be mentioned about uh, a character that I had the previously named uh, Stormlord, but we'll uh, pass that one by. Um, yeah, I, I totally named the character Stormfront in absence of actually having the context of what it was, because he had weather control power. Yeah, we, we did not know in our defense. And, and, we, and I was later told, and I, I like, okay, so... I'll just name him Stormlord. That's cool too. Good enough. Yeah, we we made a we made a little compromise there. We walked that one back. And so, you know, Villains of Vigilantes was more like Dungeons and Dragons than it was anything else. It didn't have classes, but it had kind of six stats, and it kind of had to hit rolls and to plus the damage, and so it was a little easier to grasp. What's the unique thing about Villains of Vigilantes was is you generated your powers at random, kind of like a Gamma World <laughs> mutation. Also, it was, and you know, like once again, that random element is what part is part and parcel of what makes it fun. You didn't know going in unless you were dealing with a generous DM, yeah, uh, who you know, like okay, pick out what you'd really like, uh, but you didn't know going in what kind of hero you were going to be. So most of your Creativity didn't get tapped until after the dice had hit the table. Mm -hmm. So what kind of high-speed, you know, person am I going to be? Or what kind of gadget-wielding uh, millionaire am I going to become? Exactly. Uh, what? <laughs> Dr. Byron Orpheus! Uh, <laughs> oh, master of the arcane. Master yeah. of the arcane arts, necromancer! Uh, you know, that, that kind of neat genre-based thing did lend itself well to adaption for role-playing because you had archetypes, which is the master of the arcane uh, or, you know, the uh, woman warrior uh, oh, yeah, in the Wonder Woman tradition. You're thinking more of mutants uh, and masculinity, which would come later, but it was definitely inspired by Bones and Vigilantes. But yeah, the, these raw templates, these core concepts, uh, you know, the, the speedster... Uh, yeah, now, Villains of Vigilante wasn't that well put together. It was just basically... No, no, it, it wasn't. But uh, uh, but the core concepts in superhero yep. comic culture are oh. present. You know, there are just certain... Absolutely. ...essential ideas that are present. And it, it 
adapted really handily. Now, adjudicating superpowers. This was a tough one. Oh, yeah. The stuff that we call, laughingly in superhero gaming, game balance. It was gone. Completely gone. You just might as well just... Yeah. How do you create Superman and then say, oh, well, you know, there's a reason for these other heroes to be with him. Hi, I'm the Green Arrow. Yeah, like, couldn't he just do all of this alone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. DC uh. Heroes was... Then we come into the licensed products. After role-playing games had kind of caught on, uh, again, Stan Lee and Marvel Company, their entertainment, branched out to... Uh, or reached out to TSR, and uh, they took the hand gladly, and they created the Marvel Superheroes game, which let you play the massive stock of Marvel Superheroes. And soon to be joined from Mayfair was the DC Heroes. And while they were two vastly different systems, they were incredibly well-made to represent the comic genre. These just weren't slapped-together systems. The face rip system from Marvel and the possibility chart from DC Comics, as I think it was called, or DC Roleplaying, was uh, very, very... Com it allowed you to play Superman with Batman hanging around without having either one feeling like, why did I even bother to show up? Or, I'm just holding back. <laughs> and they gave multiple examples of how to put different characters like, hey, you want to play Thor and Spider-Man in the same one? Well, Thor's going to face a much tougher opponent than Spider-Man will. Yeah, yeah Spider-Man is going to be pulling distraction mode and like, yeah, keep this guy off his balance while Thor pounds the crap out of him. Yeah, because if Thor's not here, it lights out for everybody. Yeah. You've it's clobber in time, and not for the good guys. Yeah, you got to raise the threat level when you're dealing with a super superhero. And then you throw in, so that it's not everybody pile on the one opponent, you know, you need second-tier villainy for your slightly less powerful heroes. Yeah, and with the example of Captain America or Nick Fury, you have kind of a team template already built into the comics, it transfers well to the game because you have to go through and accomplish different goals, like exploring the Red Skull's stronghold while you track him down and bring him to bear, or end his nefarious plot to, you know, ruin TV for everybody. <laughs> yeah, that was a thing. Uh, <laughs> what? What? Like he could do worse than Hollywood? No, uh, he. I think he won that. Reality so, shows. It's, I was going to say, uh, you know, screw Red Skull. The Kardashians did all that work. Uh, yeah. Oh, ah, all right. <laughs> little harsh, perhaps. Little no, harsh. not. It's perfectly merited. It's not harsh to me. Uh, um, but, but, you know, superhero gaming had its own oeuvre, and those were glory days when uh, you had both Marvel superheroes and DC heroes role-playing out. And, you know, great characters on both sides of the comic aisle. Uh, personally, I've never gotten in a fight over... Or understood the fight between DC or Marvel. I like them both. I mean, they're. I guess I'm unique in that point of view these days. But I was just like, yeah, I'm more interested in writers and what they've created than I am in brand names and teams. And I, it just lends itself to being willing to read just about anything. Uh, I've I've seen a lot of great stuff from both companies over the years, and I've seen some terrifying stinkers that, mm. uh, you know, I, I could use that. If the aliens snatch me up and erase my memory, I'm going to request that they knock a few of those tidbits out. Like, I'd like that part of my brain back. Yeah. Uh, so there have been a few like that from both companies. I, I have no particular loyalty to either one. Just a great, overwhelming fondness for the genre itself, because there has been 
awful lot of good stuff. Yeah, and as we look at those high points, then the 90s come, and, uh, you know, that's the high time of comic book sales, you know, when it was a speculator's market, and you can say what you want about that, but it came and went, and uh, it left the market in shambles, and it's still trying to readjust. Who knows where it will end up, but with it has come in the 90s, uh, superhero games went on the decline, as most role-playing games did, and they stuck by their guns of what was going to sell. And yeah, Champions was still around, and it's still around today, and it's remodified itself and uh, done other things, but it's still that very, very comprehensive system where you can literally design anything you want. And that's a big sell, but when you get those kind of systems, prepare for complexity. Uh, remember Brave New World? Yeah, I was going to mention that one. was uh, was a nice little gem out of there. It was uh, very low-powered, but it was uh, with a dystopian future of superherodom, and uh, you were basically being forced with the great uh, mutant Armageddon, you know, where Emetas and uh, those with superpowers were going to be forced into internment or neutralized involuntarily, and you had to choose sides, and it was kind of an ethical dilemma. It was interesting. Yeah, it was a, it was a different look at uh, the superhero genre in role-playing. Mm -hmm. it, it definitely went with the less classic feel and drew a great deal more from specifically uh, X-Men-esque yeah. uh, conflict between those with you know mutant and super abilities. Well, yeah, like the Marvel Civil War. Not. Yeah. Uh, so that was a terrific outing. Um, and then we end up with... Uh, there was a few others that are worthy of mention. Um, off the top of my head, I can only grasp a few at this moment. So I'm just going to skip to Mutants and Masterminds. It's pretty much... Brung It Back, I think, has the best example of customization along with utilitarian and uh, archetypes. Okay. Utilitarian and archetypes that allow you to start a team and comprehensively form a group of superheroes that work well together and can meet a wide variety of challenges without being niched. And they put in a mechanic for the slow growth in strength. Like yeah. a, the greater increasing resources available. You know, like the uh, Master of the Arcane mm -hmm. uh, slowly becomes more and more powerful and capable. Uh, you know, the super person uh, finds themselves developing and refining the, their skills. Uh, the, you know, gadgeteer is slowly capable of making more and more complicated items. It's like Iron Man tinkering with his suit over and over again. Like, yeah, you know, like the Mark port, Mark the Mark one was you know, a little on the clunky side, but, uh, you know, here we are like Mark 7 era, and we're just really, you know. <laughs> that core concept was present in Mutants and Masterminds. The idea that over time, uh, a certain amount of improvement and growth could take place. It was a great addition, which makes it a uh, uniquely excellent sample. Yeah, and as we wander over the topic... Ah, uh, yeah, we've hit our... We've uh, where, where are I? Yeah, well, who cares? Yeah, who cares? If you guys just are not falling asleep, you know, we haven't done our job. So, you know, we're <laughs> helping cure insomnia by all our listeners. You know, just listen to us drone on, you'll go right to sleep, and, you know, you'll have us to think later. Yes, we, we're oftentimes hired for special gigs for restless children. Yep. Uh, the parents just let us yammer at each other for, you know, like half an hour, and then they watch their kids just drop like they've been tranked. Pop, pop, boom, <laughs> With sound effects, too. 
And so, you know, we come to close and we thank you all for hitching along with this ride. And we hope that you have some opinions of your own. And, uh, you know, you spend some time uh, thinking about maybe old Stan and what he did for you, you know, or for maybe you don't like him. Maybe uh, that's not your thing. You think somebody else is better. Hey, we're willing to listen to that, too. I uh, just think that it was a nice moment to take a, a reflection. Um, comics have been with me for a long time, but other people have grown up in a different era. And I have to come down off my high horse yeah. and say, hey, you know, um, it's a brand new what world comics... for a lot of pe people. Yeah, what did comics do for me as a gamer? I'll tell you what, you know, my whole concept of the excellent villain is rooted in everything I read in comics as a kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot to be gained there. If you want a, a villain that you love to hate or a villain that you empathize with, uh, man, go to the comic genre. It is chock full of examples of complicated villains that, yeah, they have to be defeated, but they're kind of a character study at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are lessons about, you know, exceeding hubris and greed or obsession over revenge and all the things that lead a person down the dark road to doing something horrible. All those lessons are out there in comics. And Stan Lee was very much a part of making that genre as much as it was capable of being. They were once not seen as an art form, uh, but as a you know, a children's diversion, uh, the, the, yeah. the young adult fiction zone. Uh, now they're looked back on with enormous respect and there are entire layers to comics now. They're just... Thank you, you Alan Moore. Yeah, you've got your, your lower key stuff that is, hey, you know, if you dig Archie, uh, go you, all right? You know, riff on it. Have a great time, man. Grandma Patton was a big fan of Archie. Yeah. So that's still there. Uh, it's there for those who want it. But if you're more in the mind of the Watchman, oh. thank you, Alan Moore. Thank you for mentioning that. Uh, you know, if, if you want to read these in, immensely complex uh, things full of moral questions that are almost works of art, uh, well, and not even almost. They're just straight-up works of art. Can you really build build a build better philosophical embodiment of existentialism than Dr. Manhattan? All right. Yes, that is a good point. And uh, Neil Gaiman's career yes. started with The Sandman and other comics uh, resuscitating the swamp thing. And Oh, you know, yeah. It, it, you know, we can go on yeah, about... Yeah, just this endless things that are available to us because of comics and... You know, thanks to Stan Lee, a lot of those things made the shelves that might never have been given a chance. So, yeah, there is a direct link between comics and gaming. And not just the superhero games, but also in what you can take from them and bring to your table as a DM. Mm -hmm. uh, or as a creative yourself. Well, with that, we're going to yeah. bid you adieu. We've uh, definitely worn out our welcome probably on your ears and your podcast listening time. So thank you for sticking with us. And remember, always keep with us. Uh, those of you who are still conscious. Yes, those of you who are still not drooling on your keyboard. Or wherever <laughs> it is that uh, you happen to listen to, listen to us on. We appreciate it. And always keep the comments and uh, ideas and questions coming up. We'll be coming at you Friday. So until then, Excelsior! Excelsior. We're out.